Well, as I mentioned last night, over today and then tomorrow and Saturday, we're going to be covering uh, the subject of the love of God. And as we deal or approach this subject of the love of God, and I was just thinking of this this morning, inevitably something of this magnitude, the love of God, it is impossible to cover it in three days. <laughs> I'm just it's impossible to do so in three days because it is such a huge subject. At the, in reality, it is at the very core of God's word. It is at the very core of the gospel, God's love. And in order for us really to live this life the way that God intends us to live it, we have to know God's love. And so we're going to be dealing with this very important subject, and like I said, inevitably, we won't be able to cover every aspect of it. We won't be able to cover every passage of Scripture that deals with God's love, but we will be able to deal with much of it. And I'm reminded of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a tremendous Baptist preacher in England in the 1940s and 50s and 60s. And from 1955 all the way to 1968, he taught the book of Romans every Friday. For 13 years, taught the book of Romans. And he didn't get through it. He passed away in 1968. For 13 years, he preached the book of Romans every Friday in his church and never quite got through it because the word of God is inexhaustible. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. But we're going to be dealing with this very important subject of the love of God. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And God, we're so thankful for this day that we will have thanksgiving. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the liberties and the freedoms that you've given us in this country. And more than anything, the liberty and freedom that we have in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you and praise you and give you all the glory for it, Lord, for you are worthy. And God, we just ask you for your anointing to minister and Lord, for your anointing to receive today. That Lord, your word will become real to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn to the book of John, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be, begin this morning in verse 7. And I've chosen to begin here in because it, this passage, and we'll read several verses, but this passage of Scripture, uh, maybe like no the passage of, in the, of Scripture in the Bible, that, uh, uh, explains the very core of God's love. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, the Apostle John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and he who loves not knows not God. For God is love. And this, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Skip to verse 16, if you would. 
And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he who dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. And herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment, and he who fears is not made perfect in love. In verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. <laughs> I don't know about you, but just reading those verses in Scripture gets me excited. Oh, it does something to me because I know that God loves me. Hallelujah. Oh, there's something special. Oh, on the inside that happens to you when you realize, when you know that God loves me. I'm not talking about some mushy, kind of selfish, some, some kind of humanistic kind of thing, but I'm talking about the true love of God. God loves us today. At the very core of who God is, as John would say, is his love. You know, many times when the subject of the love of God, uh, or at least sometimes when that subject is, is dealt with, sometimes the attitude or the response can be, well, well, I already know. Well, I know about that. I know about the love of God. I mean, everybody knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting love. Well, everybody knows about the love of God. But what we have to do, we have to be careful that we don't treat God's love in the same way that much of the church treats the cross. Hello? Well, I already know about that. I already know that much of the church treats the cross like that. Well, I already know about the cross. We've heard that. We've been there, done that. I got the t-shirt. I'm moving on to the greener pastures. No, you don't know. We don't know everything about the cross. And in relation to God's love, no, we don't know. We have not fully experienced everything there is to do with the love of God. In reality, it goes beyond us. It goes beyond. It's an infinite love. An infinite love that God has for us. But sometimes we can view God's love as if it's a, one of those mushy subjects. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of those limp-wristed subjects. But we have to be careful because the love of God in reality is the most powerful message, the most powerful force on the face of the earth. His love. His love, it's what drove Jesus to go to the cross. That ain't mushy. That ain't limp-wristed. That's the power of God manifested towards you and I. Oh, the love of God. The love of God. Oh, I'm thankful for his love. And there is just something special again that his love will do on the inside when we come to realize that. Not just a mere intellectual knowledge, but revelation knowledge deep on the inside of our spirit that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know that God loves me and God loves this world. And so as we deal with this subject, again, it's the most powerful, really, thing, the most powerful force in the face of the earth, the love of God. And as we deal with it, I want to begin by looking 
first of all, at what love, God's love that is, is not. What God's love is not. And I want to deal with that because as it concerns the love of God in the world today, the church world today, God's love has been redefined. It's been misrepresented. The buzzwords that are, that are in the emergent church movement are words like reimagine, reinvent, redefine. If you, if you pay attention at all to that movement, at which uh, maybe you should, maybe you, maybe you shouldn't, but, <laughs> but if you pay attention at all to it, there's a buzzword, those are buzzwords. Reimagine the gospel, reinvent the church. Redefine things. And that's what's happening in the church world today. And God's love is even being redefined and misrepresented. And because of that, we have to first of all understand what God's love is not. And first of all, God's love, and I know this may seem to go without saying, but God's love is not selfish. God, the true love of God does not cause, should not cause or does not cause our attention to be solely upon ourselves. Me, 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 and I, I, I. And it, but get this, in the church world, or in the world today, of course, but even in the church world today, the love that has been accepted by so many in the church is the love, a quote, love of God that that causes us to really love ourselves more. Get that? A love, quote, love of God that causes us to love ourselves more. For example, I heard one, or actually several very prominent uh, ministers uh, say, one in, the, one in the charismatic world, one in the non-charismatic world, say that the greatest problem in the church today, this is their exact words, the greatest problem of the church today is that we do not love ourselves enough. Those exact words. That we don't love ourselves enough and then the, the message would be preached or a gospel would, pre be, would be presented that would cause the people to love ourselves more. But get this, there is nothing in God's word Nothing in God's word that even hints that you and I have a problem with not loving ourselves enough. Come on now, I'm not, I'm not really, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic, I'm just being truthful. There's nothing in God's word that leans toward that humanistic type of gospel, which in, real, in reality is no gospel at all. See, Jesus would say, he would say in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 46, who if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? He would say in Luke chapter 6, 32 and 33, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners do the same. You see, what happens, what has happened so much in the church world today, whether many people realize it or not, but the love that's being presented is a selfish type of love. But hear me today, God's love is not selfish. In reality, at its very core, it is unselfish. It's not, I sc I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. It's not, I'll, it's not, I'll talk good about you if you talk, talk good about me. You get that? That's not God's love. If you do something for me, then I'll do something good for you. That's not God's love. And so it is not selfish. Another 
aspect of love, that God's love is not, is that God's love is, simp- is not simply social service or a random act of kindness. I know that's presented very much today in the church that God's love is just simply a random act of kindness. I don't know if you've heard that buzzword before, those ter- that terminology. It's a random act of kindness, and like I heard, as I mentioned last night, a very prominent minister say over international television that if you really want to know the love of God, then this is what you do. If you want to know his love and walk in his love, then this is what you do. Do three random acts of kindness a day for 30 days. Do it for 30 days, and at the end of that 30-day period, Voila, you're going to know the love of God. Three random acts of kindness a day. Now understand this. The love of God is kind. You hear what I'm saying? It's 1 Corinthians 13 that we'll get to either tomorrow or, or Saturday. It is kind. And it will treat people right. But the love of God is not simply social service, passing out water bottles. It's not just simply random acts of kindness. Again, a a good Mormon could do that. Even an atheist could do that. An atheist could could treat you to dinner, and that's what was promoted as an act of kindness. Just take someone out to dinner. What if you don't have the money to do that? Well, and so the love of God is not simply just a random act of, act of kindness. Again, it is kind, but that's not the love of God at its very core. And so we have to understand what God's love is not. And so now we approach the subject of what God's love is. And as I approach this aspect of it, I want to deal, first of all, with a couple words and just the academic part of it I'll deal with just very quickly and move on. But there are a couple Greek words in the New Testament that are used for love. Two main Greek words for love in the New Testament. And they are phileo love and agape love. Now there are actually two other Greek words that were uh, used in Greek writings. There's eros and then another one which I don't remember what the word of it is. It really doesn't matter. But eros love is a sexual type of love that was used sometimes in Greek writings, but it was never used in the New Testament. Only two words used for love in the New Testament are phileo love and God's agape love. And phileo love was, a a, a very simple definition of it, is that brotherly type of love. It's that friend, it's that kind of love that two friends can have, or even family members, or the way it can be used is between a, a wife and a husband, husband and wife, and between their children. It can be used in a negative way, and it could be used in a positive way. Actually, one time, Jesus used that word phileo, love, to describe the relationship that he had with God the Father. And just to make the point or emphasizing the point that he was in a relationship with God, a family relationship with God, that God was his father. And so it could be used, phileo that is, could be used in a negative way and in a positive way. 
very general word for love, brotherly type of love. And some have even said that phileo love has at its very core uh, something something that is common between two people. But get this, phileo love, even though there's nothing inherently evil about it, it's the love that man, it's, well, I'm say it this way, it's the best that man can muster in and of himself. Phileo love, that brotherly type of love. But there is a love that is greater than phileo love, and that is God's agape love. A-G-A-P-E, agape love. It is the God kind of love. It is the love that only God possesses. And if you and I or any person has it, it came from God. Because man cannot develop agape love in and of himself. He can't do it. You can't take a class and develop the agape love of God. No, it comes as a free gift from God by grace through faith. You and I receive that agape, oh, love of God. Oh, the God, the, the, that love that only God has, his agape love. And as a definition, and I understand that as we deal with the, with the agape love of God, I want to let you know that as a, as a definition, it is impossible to put into a one definition uh, the agape love of God. But for teaching purposes, I want to give you at least some of it, at least in part, a definition of what God's agape love is. God's agape love is this. The unconditional, unlimited, unselfish, sacrificial giving of himself to us. Say it one more time. God's love is its unconditional, unlimited, unselfish giving of himself to us or to mankind. Now that's a mouthful. Now in a nutshell, that summarizes what God's love is. But again, that cannot even come close to describing all the aspects of God's love. It's impossible to put in the human words all the aspects of God's love. Paul would pray in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. He'd pray. We're going to turn there in just a moment. But in Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 19, Paul prayed for the Ephesian church that they would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Whoa. There was this prayer for them, that they would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Very interesting terminology that Paul used in Ephesians 3.19. In other words, Paul was saying, I'm praying that you know something that you can't know. (laughs) Oh, I'm praying that you know something that you can't know. What does that mean? I'm praying that you have a revelation knowledge in your spirit of something that you can't contain in your mere intellect. Oh, And so as we deal with this, we have to understand that this is so huge, God's love is. It goes beyond human comprehension, all the the aspects of it. Why would God love us? Why would he, how could God 
do that? How, why would he love? Well, that goes beyond our human comprehension as it concerns God's love. Can you turn in your Bible, if you would, for a moment to Romans chapter 8? The book of Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. One of the most powerful passages dealing with the love of God in the Bible. In Romans 8, verses 35 through 39, the apostle Paul says, who shall separate us from the, what? Love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul said, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor debt nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, my Lord, I'm thankful for that. Why did, why did we read that scripture? Because as the way that Paul described it, it really is something that really does go beyond our human comprehension. But yet we are called by God to have a revelation knowledge of it, to know it in our spirit, understanding it goes beyond our human intellect, but have a revelation knowledge of it in our spirit. You know, as I mentioned, that definition of God's love in a, in a clinical way or in an academic definition, it's that unconditional, unlimited, unselfish, sacrificial giving of himself to us and some say that God's love does not include an affection towards us. But God's love really has an affection and an action attached to it. An affection, an unconditional, an unselfish, an unlimited, a sacrificial affection and action towards us. But some say that God's love doesn't, doesn't have a, a, to it a, an affection to it. When I say affection, I mean uh, an affection is something, something that you like. You like someone or you like something. You have an affection towards it. But I would disagree with that thinking or that thought that would think or say that God's agape love doesn't have affection attached to it, just simply an unselfish, unconditional action attached to it. Because with that thought that God does not have any affection towards us at all, it's like saying this, that God loves us, but he doesn't like us. <laughs> well, God loves me, but he doesn't like me. He has no affection towards me at all. He has to, God loves me because he has to. But sometimes we can treat God's love in that way, amen? We can treat God's love in that way like, brother, I love you because I have to. But I really don't like you. Now that doesn't mean that you have to hang out with everybody, it doesn't mean that. But as it concerns us, there is an affection that God has toward us. And not just simply an action. You see, in, in Psalm 139, this is what David said about, about God's thoughts toward us. Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, where David says, and David knew the heart of God, a man after God's own heart. He said, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. 
and how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, there would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. But how precious are your thoughts toward me. How, he said, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, there would be more in number than the sand of the sea. You see, the way that God views us is really more, as David would try to describe here, really more than you and I can comprehend. See, God doesn't just have a, an unconditional love or an action towards us, but there's even an affection that God has toward us that really goes beyond our human comprehension. But there are many in the church world today that would know doctrinally, or at least they would know intellectually, and they may not say these words, but they live this way. That God knows that God loves me, but he really doesn't like me. And why do I say that? I would say that because I know I used to live that way. And that mindset is really a mindset of law. Well, I know God loves me because the Bible says so, but I really don't believe, I really don't think he likes me. In reality, if that's the mindset, then you really don't know God's love. You really don't know God's love. And I don't, I'm not, again, meaning about some selfish thing that causes us just to be puffed up in ourselves, but having a really true understanding of God's love towards us. He loves us. He wants to be with us. Get that? He wants to be with his children. He wants to, he wants to be in a relationship with the unsaved world. It's not an issue where he just has to because, well, he has no choice in the matter. Well, I have to do that because that's who I am. No, no, he wants to. He, want, he longs to be in a relationship with mankind. He wants to be with us. His love, that unconditional, again, unselfish, sacrificial, unlimited giving of himself for us. It includes both an affection and an action. Human words really can't comprehend it all. But as it concerns God's love, dealing more with what God's love is, we read it in 1 John chapter 4 that we began with today. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, where John would say that God is love. And as it concerns what God's love is, one of the things we have to understand about God, as I have hit on several times just this morning, is that at the very core of who God is, is his love. And in reality, you could say the most fundamental, basic characteristic of God is his love. Some would say, well, no, 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 it's his holiness. Some would say, and I'm not demeaning his holiness, not at all. But some would say, no, the fact that God is holy, that's his greatest characteristic. But understand, holiness means that God is altogether different and separate from every other God in this world. He's different. But what makes God so different? I ask the question. What makes God so different? Well, there are many things that make God, makes God different, but I believe the one primary thing that makes God different is his love. 
You see, because every religion in this world, get this, every religion in this world, even Protestant religion, has a works basis at its very foundation, a works as a means to righteousness. You have to climb up a ladder to get to God. It has a, 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 again, a system of do's and don'ts to get to God. But true biblical Christianity at its very core does not teach that you have to work to get to God, but teaches that God loved us so much that he worked to get to us. You hear that? That's true biblical Christianity. Again, every religion, whether it's even just the Protestant, just religion aspect of Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, Buddhism, every other religion on the face of the earth, at its very core is just working to get to God. But get this, religion, religion or that mindset of working to get to God, whether you're in a Pentecostal church or you're in a Buddhist temple, doesn't matter. But that mindset of working to get to God, it really builds a wall around God. Just like the Pharisees did in Jesus' day where they had over 600 fence laws. And the word fence is a good word to describe it, a fence law, because all their laws of righteousness built a wall around God so that people couldn't even see God anymore. They couldn't even see what God's word really says. They couldn't see the spirit of God's law. Religion in that mindset of working, working, working to be acceptable and to be loved by God, it builds a wall around God. But God's love and God's way doesn't build a wall, but it builds a door to get to God. Oh, Religion builds a ditch, but love builds a bridge. The true love of God, not some mushy thing, not some social service love, but the true love of God builds a bridge between man and God. Hey, that's what God's love does at its very core. Religion says no, but love says yes. Oh, Love says, yes, come on in as you are. Come as you are. Bring all your baggage. Bring all your sin. Bring all your mess. That's what love says. <laughs> but religion says, no, 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 you got to be perfect. You got to get cleaned up before you can come to God. Baloney. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You don't have to get cleaned up to come to God. Bring all your garbage to Jesus. Oh, bring all your sin to Jesus. Bring all of our mess to God. And he'll clean us up. That is God's love. That is God's love. Religion sticks its hand out to stop people. But God's love sticks his arms open to welcome people. That's God's love. That's God's love. <laughs> And at the very core of who God is, that is who he is. He is love. Get that? He is the God that you serve 
is love. The most basic, fundamental characteristic of who he is is the fact that he has an unconditional, unlimited, unselfish, sacrificial, giving an affection and action towards you and I and the whole world. God is love, as I dealt with. And as it concerns what God's love is as well, I gave you a formal definition of it. I told you we've looked at 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. We read at the very beginning that God is love. But I want to get at the very core of it as well, where it hits maybe more home to us than any other thing as it concerns what God's love is. And it's this. At its very core, God's love is Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross for you and I. You could say it this way, the cross is God's love. Mm. It could have been a little better than that. The the cross is the love of God. (laughs) Oh, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a wooden beam. I'm not talking about a necklace around your neck. I'm not talking about something on a pulpit or a steeple in a church. I'm not talking about a Christian bumper sticker or a Christian t-shirt. But I'm talking about who Jesus is and what he did for us at Calvary. Can you go back to 1 John chapter 4 for a moment if you would please? 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10. I want to take a look at some scriptures that really bring this out to make sure we understand this. Dealing with what God's love is. 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10. If you're there, say amen. amen. And John says, he who, I'm sorry, verse 9. In this was, was manifested the love of God towards us. Get this. In this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Hallelujah. Verse 10. Herein is love. That is the agape love of God. Here is God's love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I mean, you can't get any plainer and simpler than that. As John would describe, and Paul would also describe it in Romans 5 and verse 8, that the love of God is this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his own son Jesus to die on the cross for mankind, for you and I. That is the love of God. The cross, the cross is the love of God. Oh, I know that we, when we teach and we properly understand that the cross is to be the object of our faith. And that is true. Every day, what Jesus did for us must be the object of our faith. But get this today. The cross must be the object of our love. That we are looking to what he did for us at Calvary as the manifestation, the manifestation of his love towards me. 
that every day when I view the cross, I'm not talking about physically, but by faith, when my mind goes back to Calvary, every single day I realize that at Calvary, he loved me. Hey, at Calvary, he loved me. Hey, hallelujah. Woo, my goodness. Every day when I wake up in the morning and I realize, Lord, I ain't righteous before you based on what I do right now. I'm not, I'm not accepted by you based on anything I do right now. But it's by faith in what you did for me at Calvary. As I meditate upon his cross, I meditate also upon the fact that at the cross, Jesus loved me. Oh, at the cross, God poured out his love on me at Calvary. Oh, hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Jesus, hey, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, hey, he loves us. Hey, he loves us. He loves us. He loves us today. <laughs> and those nail scars in his hands, in his feet, and that scarred his side, even in his resurrected body, is still a constant reminder of how much he loves us. And you and I, as we spend eternity with Jesus forever and ever, will always be reminded of how much God loves us. Oh, of how much he loves us and cares for us unconditionally. No strings attached. Unlimited. You can't exhaust it. You can't exhaust God's love. You can't wear it out. It's not, like a, it's not like a rubber tire where you can wear it out and you have to get a new one. No, no, no. God's love is unlimited. Hey, I said it's unlimited. You need more of God's love? God's got it. Hey. <laughs> Woo. You need more of God's love? God's got it. Well, I already know about that. I'm not saying any of you would say that today, but I already know about that. I'm moving on. That's Sunday school theology, Brother Bob. That's Sunday school theology. I'm moving on from that. You better not move on from that. I said you better not move on from that. If you move on from that, you have moved too far, brother. You've moved too far, sister. If you've moved away from the love of God that God poured out for you in Calvary, you've moved on too far. (laughs) Hey, come back to the love that God poured out for you at the cross. There's so many in the church world today that want to separate God's love from the cross. But if you do, you ain't got the real love of God. I said, you ain't got the real love of God. Paul or John said it. I'm going to read it again in verse 10. He said, herein is love. Not that we love God. Not that we did social service or, be, or have random acts of kindness, as good as that may be. No, 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 no. Here in, his, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. 
and sent his son to be, to be the propitiation for our sins. That sacrifice and appease the wrath of God, that's, that's the propitiation. That's love. That's love. <laughs> that's love. <laughs> oh, I don't even want to move on. I thank God for his love. I thank God. Oh, can we just thank him? Come on, now take 30 seconds and just thank him and praise him for his love. Hey, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, oh God. We thank you, Lord, for your love that you poured out of Calvary. Oh, Jesus. And there are many today that want to separate God's love from the cross. But again, if you do, you don't really have the love of God. You may have a random act of so-called kindness, but it's not God's love. It's just doing something nice for someone. But if you really want to know the love of God, look to Jesus and specifically, specifically, look to what he did for you at Calvary. (laughs) I just find it interesting at Calvary, Jesus had his arms open wide. I find it awesome that he had his arms open wide, open wide to the whole world. He didn't die like this with his arms crossed and close to himself, just loving himself, just holding on to his own life. No, his arms open wide. I find it interesting that the cross, when those beams crossed, the vertical and the horizontal, where they met together in the middle, God and man, where they met together in the middle, was right in the heart of Jesus, because the very heart of Jesus is his love for mankind, his love for you and I. (laughs) Oh God, help us to see your love. Help us to see your love like we've never seen it before. I mentioned it last night, but I'll say it again, it's so important. If it is true that we believe in the message of the cross, And I believe we do. And all of us are a work in progress. Nobody has exhausted that, by the way, or ever will. Nobody graduates from the cross. But if it is true that we believe in the cross, and if it is true that we preach and teach the cross, which we do at this ministry and we do here, we teach and preach the message of the cross, then it is a necessity that we understand God's love. It is a necessity. It is, vital. it is critical that we understand God's love. That we have an understanding, a, not just a mere mental assent to it, not just a mere uh, intellectual understanding or knowledge of it, but a revelation understanding by the Spirit of God of the love of God. And the Lord has been dealing with me personally on that for the last Several months, like maybe, maybe you could say even a year, just time just goes by real fast. Lord's been dealing with me on that. that. If I preach, if I claim to preach and believe the cross, then I need to understand his love. <clears throat> because if you and I are to have a faith that is correct in the cross, then we have to know his love. If you and I are to preach the message correctly, then you and I are to know his love. 
If you and I are to have the right spirit in preaching this message, then you and I must know his love. That at the cross, God poured out his love unconditionally, uh, uh, unlimitedly, uh, sacrificially, unselfishly. Poured out his love for you and I. And you know, again, I I, I, want to emphasize God's love is, well, it's who he is. He is love. But the manifestation of God's love is Calvary. In Romans chapter 5, could you go there, if you would please, in your Bible, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, a a very simple verse, but I want to bring it out today. Romans 5, 8, where Paul said these words, but God commendeth, the word could be translated demonstrated, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, I, 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 it's, I find it hard to leave that point that the cross is God's love manifested for you and I. And it must be the object of our faith and it must be the object of our love. And we have to have a, a revelation of that as well that, that the, the cross is God's love manifested towards us and for the whole world. We have to have a revelation of it as we draw near to the today's session. I'd like you to turn to the book of Ephesians, if you would, please. The book of Ephesians, chapter 3. The book of Ephesians, chapter 3, in verses 14 through 19. Again, it is a necessity that we have a revelation and understanding of God's love if we are to believe correct, if we are to have a correct message, if our spirit is to be correct, if really our life is to be correct. But Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14, if you're there, say amen. The apostle Paul prayed a prayer for the Ephesian church. And as we go through this, this is a prayer that you and I could really pray for ourselves. It's a prayer that you and I could pray really for ourselves. Let this prayer be our prayer today. Where Paul said this, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Get this, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. Paul's prayer for them, as we can see here, focused on them knowing the love of Christ. Knowing the love of Christ. He prayed for them. In verse 17, he said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, you being rooted and rounded in love. Kenneth Weist said that that 
<coughs> those words in verse 17 could be translated that Christ might finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts by faith that has been rooted and grounded in God's love. I'm going to say that again. He said this. It could be translated this way, that Christ might finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts by faith that has been rooted and grounded in God's love. Those words there when he said that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Kenneth Wee said it it creates a word picture of a person purchasing a home or they have a new home. And they settle down in that new home. And they finally get comfortable in that new home. I think everyone have been there before, whether it's a, for you college students, maybe it's, maybe it's a new dorm room. <laughs> or maybe it's a new apartment, or a new condominium, or a new home, whatever the case, but you move in there and you start to settle in, right? You change things around and you get comfortable in your new home. Well, Paul, or uh, Kenneth Weiss says, that's really the picture that Paul was creating here, that Christ would feel at home in our hearts and lives. And he said, Jesus feels at home in our hearts and lives by a faith that is rooted and grounded in God's love. Versus a faith that is rooted and grounded and works and a works righteousness mentality. And a mindset that, that, that I have to do such and such and jump through hoops for God to love me. No, no, no. A faith that is rooted and ground in the fact that I love him because he first loved me at Calvary. Then he said this, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height And Brother Swigert says in his his expositor notes, he says it means not only to understand, but as well to lay hold of as to make one's own. He said that there are metaphors to explain the vastness of God's love towards us. It's too big for us to fully comprehend with our human intellect. And he said in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, As I said earlier, it's a very interesting statement that Paul makes. It's like Paul was saying that you might know something that you can't know. The point is that you would have, by God's Spirit, as you and I believe and trust and have the cross as our object of faith, that the Holy Spirit would produce in us a knowledge of God's love that goes beyond human intellect, but it's a revelation and understanding of God's love in our very spirit, a revelation knowledge of God's love. Hear me today, that was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, but that's gotta also be our prayer for ourselves today. Lord, open my eyes to your love. And help me to understand, help me to know your love like I've never known it before. 
Again, God's love is the most powerful force on the face of the earth. God's love, God's love, I'm telling you here, God's love will cause you to love people that you can't love in yourself, in the natural. Preachers, God's love will cause you to preach with a fire that goes beyond just human talent. God's love will cause you to preach and minister with a passion that goes beyond human talent because it's his love. The cross is his love for us. Not that we love him, not us trying to get to him, but us coming to us, him coming to, to us. And he said this, that you would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled, he said, with all the fullness of God that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's interesting the way that Paul would use that terminology, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That word fullness, the fullness of God. The word picture is of a, a fully stocked ship or a boat. That's the word picture, that word fullness, the fullness of God. A fully stocked ship, a fully stocked boat that's ready for a long voyage. In that boat, in that ship, you got everything you need for a lifelong voyage. That's what God's got. But, but the point is this, everything that God has, that we might be filled with it. That we might be filled, that our boat might get filled with everything that God's got in his boat. Does that make sense? <laughs> That, God, that our life would be filled with everything that God's got, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. That we might receive everything that Jesus purchased for us at Calvary. And the way that Paul described it in this prayer, that's possible by faith, by, by having a faith that is rooted and grounded in the love of God. And really not so much our love for him, but his, Lord, his love towards us. As John would say in 1 John 4 and verse 19, we read it to, to begin with today, we love him because he loved us. The very root and the foundation of our love for God is the fact in knowing and believing that he loved me at Calvary. And so I respond by faith, which is loving him back and loving others with that same type of love. Have a revelation of God's love. You and I today need that. I stand first in line for a need for a revelation of the love of God. God, I, not just I need it, I want it. Hey, I'm so sick and tired of religion that's, that, that treats people like that. You scratch my back, if you, or I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'm sick and tired of that. That's, that has infiltrated the church. That's just flesh. Well, I love my four and no more. Well, I only love those that go to Family Worship Center. Come on now. That's not God's love. God would give us a revelation of his love. As we close today, I want to quickly deal with the subject of, or the, I ask the question, why 
does God love us? We've only got two minutes left, but why does God love us? As, and that, as a way to approach that, I just want to say it this way, to answer that question, why does God love us? The atheist would say, well, because there is no God, there is no such thing as love, at least God's love, and so therefore God doesn't love me because he doesn't exist. I thank God I'm not an atheist. I thank God I believe in God. The humanist would say God loves me because I am inherently good. Anything bad about me has been caused by external circumstances. And so because I am inherently good, that's why God loves me. The denominationalist would say that it's those who trust in his denomination or lack thereof would say God loves me because I'm a Baptist, a Pentecostal, a Presbyterian, a Assembly of God, or even an independent. I've been so for so many years, that's why God loves me. The legalist would say, God loves me because I do what I do. I pray, I tithe, I worship, I witness, read my Bible, attend church. That's why God loves me, because of what I do. The hyper-Calvinist would say, God loves me because he predestined me to be saved. He only loves those whom he has chosen. That's why he loves me, because I'm predestined, because he has to. The theologian would say, God loves me because we were made in God's image. Therefore, he loves me because he loves himself, the theologian might say. And where it is true that we are created in God's image, that really doesn't explain it all. Ultimately, the person who has seen his own depravity, the person who has seen his own fleshliness, but then has seen Jesus, that person will say, as it concerns the manifestation of God's love and why God loves us, that person would say, ultimately, you know what? I, I really don't know why God would love me. But I believe that he does. <laughs> you see, as it concerns that question, why does God love us, there is really no answer that you can find in God's word than just simply because he does. It's not because of us. It's not because of anything that we have done. It's not because of anything that we can do. It's just because he's a great and awesome God. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Hey, I've seen my own depravity. I've seen my fleshliness. And I've seen God's love, I've seen Jesus, I've seen the cross, and I have to say, I don't know why, but I just know he did, and I believe in it, and I receive it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for your love, and we thank you, Lord, today for your grace that you poured out for us at Calvary. And we ask you, Lord, as, you, as Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, we ask that, God, you would give us a revelation of, God, of your love, Lord Jesus, that we might know your love, which passes knowledge, that we might be filled with your fullness, O oh God. Lord, we pray that today for ourselves. And, Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord.